Morning. How are you guys doing? So uh, this morning uh, at the first service, we had quite a bit of excitement on all kinds of levels, and I completely forgot to, um, to get a, another just bit of an announcement out. I hope you guys are planning on coming uh, next week to Goddard Park. That should be great. But uh, along with that, we could use anybody that has the time ahead of time to help with setup or afterwards uh, that can help with tearing down some of the stuff. It takes a lot to kind of pull that off. And so if you guys could be thinking about that and getting the word out to the people at the first service because they got away without hearing that. So um, anyway, it's up to you guys. If you're, if you're not gonna be there, recruit somebody from first service, okay? That was, that was funny. That was a joke. You guys, okay. Good morning. So, <laughs> hey, you know, over the last uh, centuries, since um, Jesus came, he was with us, he, he was born, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. And, and that really shook things up, changed a lot. Um, since that time, people everywhere have been trying to, they've been writing books, they've been having conversations, they've been having seminars and, and gatherings, and, and they're trying to try to get into the, kind of understand the details of what that life, that death, that resurrection, how that impacted us, what that accomplished in this world, all the kind of subtleties that are in there. And so uh, in my office, for example, I have a whole uh, shelf full of books. And um, in my file cabinets, I have uh, just papers of, of notes from, from some of these places. And, and that's like a drop in an ocean of what's out there, right? As people try to understand, comprehend the complexity, because it's an incredibly intricate and amazing and complicated and layered thing that God did in Christ. And so we could bury ourselves with our whole lives just, just trying to understand it. But if you just step back a little bit, right? You step back from all the theologizing, all the philosophizing. If you just step back and you just look at the life of Jesus. And I think this is where God wants us to start. I think he just wants us to step back, look at the life of Jesus because if you look at the life of Jesus, the plan of God becomes very, very simple, doesn't it? It becomes very, very clear what God was up to when you see what Jesus was doing. Now, we, don't, we may not understand all the details. There may be, and there is, all kinds of complexity around it. This world and our lives and everything, it's a very complex place. So God was taking care of all kinds of those levels. But when you step back, he has made it very clear through the life of Jesus what he was up to. Jesus came so that he could rescue us, that he could do away with suffering, that he could do away with brokenness, with bondage, with, with broken relationships, with distrust, with death. He came to rid the world of that and to bring in the joy, the peace, the fullness that God had intended. That's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty simple story. But even in that, there's this complexity that sometimes we miss the simplicity of the story and the simplicity of what God calls us to be a part of because we get so enmeshed, right, in the, in the details, in the complex pieces. Well, what we find is that that's what God was intending to do in Jesus. That's what he's still up to today, right? That's what he's doing in our lives and as we read the Gospels, we're going to be looking at Matthew 9, uh, verses 35 to 38. We find that this is what Jesus was doing all the time. So stand with me, if you would, 
as we look at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And what we're gonna be looking for, we're gonna be focusing on is focus on this singular, this, this simple, this straightforward purpose that God is working and how it comes out through this passage. Matthew chapter 9, 35 to 38. Jesus was traveling around all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were harassed and being ravaged like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So plead with the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. You know, I think that most of us as human beings we would love to be a part of, we would love to be used by God in order to alleviate suffering in the world that we see, right? As we look around us and we see broken lives and we see the ravages of sickness and we see the ravages of just, I mean, again, it's complex and it's layered and it's complicated and it's, uh, we see all that, but we would love to be used by God to to do this simple task that he has set out to do, this project of, of redeeming this world, making it what it was intended to be. But often we get distracted, don't we? We get distracted by, other, by things that gotta get done or we get distracted by other kind of pursuits that look more kind of uh, engaging or entertaining in the moment or else, or else sometimes we just get overwhelmed. How many of you guys have ever been just overwhelmed by the complexity of what you see? Anybody? If you're not, you're not alive, right? And sometimes we look at that too and we say, it's not just that that overwhelms us, but also the cost. What it's going to cost us to get involved with this? And so we back away. But Jesus is there to remind us that this is the point. This was the point of everything he did because this is the simple and straightforward point and purpose of God is to redeem this world, to redeem us out of the brokenness, out of darkness, into light, Right? And so he calls us into that. And he says, we need to get on board. This is why God calls us up. It's not just for us, but it's to see everything, <laughs> all of this brought into what it was intended to be. And the first place to start, he says, is we need to see things clearer, right? We need to see what's really going on. Sometimes we, we lose focus, we lose priority because we're not seeing clearly things the way that God sees. And so this morning, this message is titled, Called to See. Father, this morning, uh, we need to see. We need, that's something, we, we don't just need to see with these physical eyes. Um, we see with those every day. And that, that is both a blessing, but it's also a distraction at times. What we see with our eyes, how they help us to focus, but how they sometimes draw us off course as we focus on other things. So Father, we need to see with the eyes of your spirit. So we ask that your spirit would be here, that he would open our eyes to see the things that are important to you, that you would open our ears to hear the word that you're speaking to us today, that you would open our hearts so that we would be undistracted, that you would have our attention and that we would be ready to receive receive that call, we would hear that call. We would see the things that you're calling us into and the things that you're calling us to become. So Father, um, do your work in this place. Set this place apart as your space, as your time. We are your people. 
So we ask that you would fill this place, Holy Spirit, to do that work in us to make us more like Jesus by the time we leave than when we came in. So do that work in us today. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. We pray this, Father, for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So I don't know if you guys remember three weeks ago, but I know that some of you guys have blocked it out because three weeks ago, <laughs> we were baking. Do you remember that? It was really hot. You might not remember that this morning. It's really kind of a nice morning, um, but uh, it was hot. It had been hot. It was going to be hot. We were in the middle of it. And so I was coming out uh, after a day at work. I, I jumped in my car. I turned on my car. I turned on the AC because that's what you do when it's hot out. And there was this clicking sound. And you could tell that the, the fan was kind of rubbing up against something. And I said, oh, no, that's not a good sound. I'm going to probably have to get that checked out. And then that clicking sound, it sounded, you know those plastic poker chips? Did you guys ever see those as kids, you know, and play, you know? So it sounded like somebody took a whole tray of those, they dumped it down the vent and into the fan, and then it just started grinding itself to pieces. Okay, and I, I thought, oh, well, that's, that's really not good. I probably, and then, and then it stopped. And all the grinding stopped, but then all I had was a loud buzzing. And I thought, you know, I'm no mechanic, but I don't think this is the time that you cover it up with, you know, turning the music up louder, right? I think probably need to shut it down, which you don't want to do in the summer, but shut it down and get it fixed. Because at that point, I knew for sure I am completely out of my league. I'm over my head. Now, if this was a vacuum cleaner at home, what would I have done? I would have probably just kind of taken it apart. Right? I would have just uh, looked at it, found the problem, put it back together. If this was even my, our washing machine, I could have gone on YouTube. I could have said, does anybody out there know what this is? And you find a little part, you can plug it in. Pretty easy, but this is a car. And so some of you guys are really good at cars. For the rest of the world, that doesn't, you know, you, that's over my head. I'm out. I, especially when it's something, I mean, if it's changed the oil, yeah. If it's changed something sitting there on top, but this is taking like the dashboard out and looking underneath and finding it. So I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm out on this one. And so I, I knew at that point I was over my head. I realized that I needed to find somebody who could actually do the work that was necessary, that could know what they were looking at when they saw it so they could tell me what needed to happen in order for that to be fixed. And so when I found my mechanic, now to, to tell you the rest of the story, what had happened was they, they told me the story. It was a pretty simple story. There was this little critter. It had to be little because it got up you know, into my car. And uh, it went and it made a home in my fan. And uh, in, in doing that, it had chewed through the air filter and then it brought in all kinds of goodies to set up his house in my, little, in my fan. And so that's what I had heard grinding around in there was this little goodies that he had brought in there. And, uh, and that wasn't what did the fan in, though. It was that buzzing sound at the end when it stopped whirring and it was trying to work, but it couldn't work. That's what destroyed it. So he told me, so you got to replace the fan. So pretty simple story, right? Pretty, pretty straightforward solution. But when I went into this thing, the complexity surrounded it, I was out of my league. I couldn't have looked. I, I didn't know what I was looking at. In Matthew 9, Jesus is telling his disciples, when I look out at this mess that you guys see, these crowds, this harassment, the, the details of, when I see that, I see a pretty simple story. He said, you know what this is like? This is like sheep. They don't have a shepherd. And sheep that don't have a shepherd, they get harassed and they get, they get eaten. They get, they get chased. They get 
They're unsafe. They're, they're, they're in trouble. He says, this is a pretty simple story. And there's a pretty simple solution to it. They need a shepherd. They need somebody to protect them. They need somebody to guide them. And then he told them, so it's a pretty simple story, straightforward solution. And another part of the solution, he says, it's a pretty, another pretty, I'll put that in simple terms as well. Um, it's like if you had a harvest and it needed to be brought in. But in this solution, you have to have the, the, the Lord of the harvest, the one who owns the crops, the one who's bringing this in charge of this, has to send out the workers into the field to take this, this harvest in. So again, he says it's pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward, but if you read around that, that section that we read today, you read the stories in front of it, you read the stories after it, you read the rest of the gospel, you think about the life of Jesus. If you read about that, if you read between the lines of what's actually going on with the people he's talking about, if you even look to your own experience, you know that it was a lot more complicated than that. Right? The disciples go, oh, they're just sheep. And they look out and here's this guy, you know, been born blind or something. Or, you know, here's this person who has this sickness. And, and they're going, this is, a lot more, this is a lot more complicated than just taking care of sheep. Because there's a complexity to it. You know, when it says that Jesus, one of the things that he was doing to help these distressed sheep out, you know, you're not just corralling them and putting them in a pen and you're, you're done. It's, he, it says that he was healing their diseases and healing all their sicknesses. Now, what that meant was he was healing the disease itself. So some of these, these sheep, they were sick and they were really sick. I mean, it tells stories about some people were so sick that were coming to Jesus, they actually had to have friends carry them to get them there. So Jesus sees him and it says he healed the disease that caused the sickness, but then it says, then he healed the sickness. Now that word, the second one, doesn't just mean a different word for the same thing. It means it's really talking about all the weaknesses, all the results that had come from the original disease, okay? So he not only healed the disease, but he healed all the consequences of it too. For example, when Jesus is there and he meets this guy and he's, he was born lame and he's sitting by this pool and he says, do you want to be healed? And he says, yes, you know, and he says, he said, uh, so Jesus heals him, right? Well, when he heals this guy that's born lame, what does he have to fix? Well, he has to fix the problem that caused the lameness to begin with. But then this guy has muscles that he has never used, Right, And they're all atrophied out. And then he has these joints in his, in his body that they're probably frozen in place pretty good. And then if, he, if he, he's, he's gonna stand up and he's gonna use a balance that he's never had. That's, I mean, the, the guy that, that's born blind, he has to, there are complications that come as a result of the illness and there are complications that come that led to the illness. There's the illness itself and he says, Jesus healed all of that. These disciples are going, wow, I think I'm over my head, right? When somebody gets sick, you know what I can do? I can bring them some chicken soup as long as Carrie makes some, Right? Right? I can, I can show up, I can talk to him on the phone and say, yeah, I'm feeling bad, and we're praying for you. I, can, I mean, what can we do? We're over our heads. Think about, think about when Jesus healed Lazarus from the dead. You know, he says he wants to get rid of sickness and death and sorrow and all this. He, healed, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He not only had to breathe life back into this body, he had to deal with whatever had caused the death, 
So he didn't just breathe life back in and all of a sudden he's dead again. He had to, he had four days of decay he had to do something about, right? And back in those days, they didn't eat as many hot dogs and preservatives as we do. They would decay pretty quick. And so here's Jesus. We don't think about that sometimes when he heals, about how much went into that, but he said he healed all the diseases and he took away all their sicknesses, the follow-up. He took everything around it, got taken out. Well, that's a little bit more than (laughs) rounding up some sheep and getting them in a pen. So the disciples are learning. They're learning, hey, you know, it's a simple story, but it's, it's, it's still a pretty complex situation. I'm still a little over my head. And then Jesus, I mean, he, that's, he's just talking about the physical stuff because the story just before this one, it says that he's also out there, he's throwing demons out of people. So these disciples are looking at it, they're going, one, the physical part was complex enough, but now you're saying there's a whole other layer to it. There's a spiritual world that we're a part of and there are these beings, these, these entities that are out there and they're, they're harassing and they're ravaging our lives. At one point, Jesus says about, about Satan, he says, you know, the thief, he comes into your life for one purpose, he comes to kill, to steal and destroy. So that's what these spiritual beings are doing. And so the, the disciples are going, wow, we were, we were lost enough over our heads when we knew it was just the physical stuff going on. But now you say there's a whole spiritual side. And in that, Jesus, Jesus isn't even getting into kind of the complications of like the broken, the broken social systems that we have that sometimes can be out of whack or the dysfunctional psychological stuff that we have going on. Or the, he doesn't even get into that. So as we look at this stuff, we, we just realize, you know, it's a simple story. God has a simple, he wants us to see that his mind towards it is pretty clear, pretty straightforward. There's a problem. I really want to fix it. I want to get rid of suffering and death and disease. And we, we've seen that in the past weeks. But it doesn't, take, it doesn't take away all this complexity. So you look at Jesus and it's, you, know, you go, well, how, how is that supposed to happen? Because he seems to be calling the disciples to do something about this. They're going, how is this supposed to happen? Well, there's ways that Jesus had set them up prior to getting to this point. Um, and, and we need to see those because he does these same things in us. He's calling us to be involved in that same project, that same work. He hasn't quit. And he wants us to be a part of that too. But he says, there are certain ways that I prepare you to come alongside and be a part of this. So first we see that Jesus goes out and he's teaching, right? Because there are things that the, his disciples and the other people need to know about God and about what God's up to and about how he wants to do it that they haven't thought of yet. Do we realize that? When we see the brokenness of our world, a lot of times we go, well, I know how to fix that because I learned, right? And we think we've already got it figured out. We come up with these great ideas. Jesus went out first and he says, I need to teach you some things about the kingdom. I need to teach you about what the kingdom's about. I need to teach you about how the kingdom is brought in. I need to teach you some things because there are some things that you don't know. And as his disciples, we need to know that because we need to know that. We need to learn from Jesus what this project is even, what it is and how we're supposed to go at it because our best thoughts won't get us to where he wants to go. I had a friend that once said, he said, you got to remember that 
Your best thoughts are what got you here. And so if our world is messed up, our world's best thoughts are not gonna get us any further. But the second part of that is Jesus not only teaches, but then he models this for them. And he goes out and he shows them this is what healing looks like. This is what casting out demons looks like. This is the things that you have to deal with. And these are the things that need to be fixed and put in order. This is how sin plays into this. This is how, this is how kind of context that, that there are places of unbelief that you, can't, you just can't go to. You can't, God's, oh, his work will be hindered by the, the level of unbelief sometimes. And so he's teaching them these things and he's modeling for them. How to do this. Now, we look at that and we say, well, you know, it'd be great to have Jesus here with us, wouldn't it? It'd be great to have him right here and he could model it for us and he could be teaching us. But Jesus himself, he said, you know what? He said, I have to go away because if I'm here, I'm the only one doing this stuff. And it's limited. It's limited to me. In fact, the second part of this where he says, he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest sends workers out into the harvest. He's implying, he's saying, one person can't bring this harvest in. It needs multiple workers. At one point in John, he says, it's better for you that I go, because if I go, I can send the Spirit, and then all of you can have me in you, and you can be empowered to do the very work that I'm doing, but then we can get the workers, plural, instead of the one worker, me, out there doing the work. So... First he teaches, and so we say it'd be great to have Jesus with us, but he says, no, it'd be better, it's better if I go. So we go, well, how are we supposed to see him model this for us then? Well, we have his word. That's what, that's what the gospels are for. So that even if Jesus is not here, that we can read and we can get that glimpse of this is how he lived his life. Very straightforward, very, the same, and we can see this is, these are the words he spoke. He didn't, he didn't have a formula. He didn't have a you know, sometimes he, to heal people, he spit and made mud and covered their eyes. Sometimes he, he licked his fingers and gave them a wet willy and stuck it in their ears and their ears were healed. Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he didn't go to the house. Sometimes he went to the house. Sometimes they cut a hole in the roof and he says, your sins are forgiven. Other times he didn't mention sin at all. And you're going, there's no formula. There's no, and you're going, okay, that's modeling. But we gotta read it. We gotta get in there and look at the life of Jesus if we're gonna see, oh, that's how you do this. Because that's what he's calling us to. So he's in, in, in the scripture too, in, in the Bible, it's giving us teaching. So there's the teaching, there's the modeling. But then the third thing that he does is Jesus paints these two very clear, easy to understand pictures for the people that are listening to him. This is an agrarian society. So he talks about sheep and he talks about a field of harvest. And they're going, oh, I know sheep, <laughs> right? I have sheep. My uncle has sheep. My neighbor has sheep. I, I, I understand sheep. I know what sheep go through when they don't have a shepherd. Oh, I get that picture. Oh, a harvest? Absolutely. We next, live next door to a big field that they harvest every I, Yeah, you need a lot of people to harvest. I get that, right? Because when Jesus teaches, one of the things he does also is he, he speaks to us in a language that we can understand. So we may not understand the agricultural stuff, we may not get some of that. We, we can dig into scripture and we can kind of learn to understand it, but there are gonna be times that God speaks to you and he gives you a picture that's very clear and very understandable for you because that's how he does it. He's going to model it through Jesus. He's gonna teach you things that you didn't understand, but there are going to be times that he is going to either through his spirit speaking to you as you just are quiet listening and saying, God, what does this mean? And he gives you that picture or it may be 
It may be in a place like this where you're just, you're talking with each other and you're, you're saying, you know, I was reading this thing and I don't get it. And somebody else, somebody else has received this picture and they share that with you and you say, this is what I think God's talking about when he's, he's saying that. Because to prepare us, God doesn't just throw us into deep end and say, ah, good luck, right? Jesus jumps out there and he shows us how to swim and then he teaches, he teaches us about what swimming, what it's gonna feel like and then he's out with us in it and then he teaches, he tries to speak to us in a language that we understand. You know, when my kids were learning how to swim, the, the, the swim instructor, they didn't go into this great depth about you know, how buoyancy keeps your body up and so you wanna kind of breathe in so that you, and they didn't tell them about you know, how the water has this resistance and then, yeah, didn't go into that. They just, they kind of showed them and they said, okay, do you feel that? Do you feel how that feels to float? Feel that? Yeah, that's what you want to be doing, right? Stay up on the top of the water. And then, then you want to kind of move your, no, no, you don't want to flail. Don't flail. No, just kind of get going like this. Do you see how that pushes water and you move forward? Yeah, do that. They talk to, you talk to as child as a child. God talks to human beings. He talks to us as people. We're over our heads in this stuff, you guys. God knows it. He doesn't try and impress us with what he knows. He's trying to draw us into the work. And so look for God. Look for those ways that Jesus is going to teach you new things. Look for those ways that he's going to model it for you. But then look for the ways, too, that he's going to clarify it for you. Now, one of the things that Jesus said that's pretty astounding. He said, you know, when he, he made that statement that this is like a field. And you've got to pray that the Lord of the harvest is going to send his workers out into that field. Pretty astounding because here he is. He is God incarnate, right? He is God taken on human skin, living among us. And he said, as a human being, even God incarnate cannot get this done on his own. In the realm of humanity, in the realm of what God wants to accomplish, it cannot be done by one person. So one of the things he implies there and he tells us, he says, so if you're out there and you find yourself out there all by yourself, constantly being the lone ranger, me and God don't need anybody else, he says, it's not gonna work. Because he says, this is like a harvest field. So you can bet that if the Lord of the harvest sends out one worker, he's sending out many workers because it's too much for just one. So start looking for the people that God's been sending out there with you. So what's he saying? He's saying, when you go into this thing, where's the place to start? You need to see what's going on. You need to see clearly how overwhelming this world is. Don't be scared of it. You're not supposed to fix it. You need to see it so that you don't try to fix it on your own. So look at it. Dig into it. Let it overwhelm you. Let you just get to the point you say, you know what, I can't do anything about that. If God doesn't fix this, nothing is going to happen. That's where you need to be. You need to see it. You need to see clearly God's heart in this. That his intention stays the same. He says, you know what? <laughs> There's a new kingdom coming. And he is committed to dragging the kingdom of this world to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He is committed to that process. It is going to happen. That's all he is working toward. He is committed to redeeming the lives of those who turn to him. He is committed to dragging 
out of darkness and bringing us into light. He is committed to it. So see that clearly, because if you're overwhelmed and you ever doubt the heart of God and the intention of God in this, that's a hopeless place to be. But he says, see clearly how, be overwhelmed by it. See clearly how God is committed to it. See clearly that God doesn't just need a response. He doesn't need a knee-jerk reaction from us. He doesn't ask us to just go do something. Sometimes we see something and we go, I gotta do something. And we go off and we do something. He doesn't ask us for that. What does he say? He says we need to see that the solution is to ask God to do something. Now, I, know, I know us, I know me, I know many of you, and I know how action-oriented we are, right? We, we gotta do something about what we see. And so as soon as we see a problem, we tend to go do. And God says, that's not the place to start because if you think you can go do anything about this, you're not seeing what you're getting yourself into. It is complex, it is layered, it is intricate. We, we can't even see that layer of the spiritual world. We can't even see it. It's there, it's acting, but we can't see it, let alone interact with it on our own, just kind of off our own knowledge, right? It says you gotta know it. So the place to start is never to just go do something. The place to start is to start with God and say, God, I know this, this is your project more than it's my project right? You're more committed to this than I am. You feel more intensely the kind of brokenness and the suffering and the hurt that people are going through than I do. So God, I pray that you would send your workers. If it's me, you're going to have to train me up so that I know what I'm doing. You're going to have to give me authority so that I have the authority to do what needs to be done. You're going to have to Make me able to do stuff that I can't currently do. And if it's not me, send somebody, but send your workers. He doesn't say, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send you into the field. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send the workers. Why the workers? The workers who know, who are, who are called up to take care of that harvest. That may not be your work. But it also may be that you are one of those workers that he's trying to prepare, that he is trying to get into, that he is ready to train. And in that case, you have to, it's a prayer, God, send the workers out. If I'm supposed to be that worker, train me up so I'm ready to go do the work that needs to be done. So we don't start by doing, we start by praying. We start by really seeing what really is and seeing what needs to be put in place that we're not capable of putting in place so that God can put it in place so that the work, not our work can get done, but that his can get done. You know, his work, you look at what Jesus was doing, man, to heal a disease and take all the consequences out of the picture and to undo all that led into it, that's amazing. I can't do that. Doctors can't even do that. They can't take out everything, right? They can't untangle that ball. That's what Jesus said, that's what God's about, that's what his heart's about, that's what redemption, that's what healing, that's what he wants to get into. So getting into that, we have to start with God. We have to say, God, man, if that's the field, send the workers out, get them ready, get them trained up, call them up, send them out, because there's a harvest. You say there's work to be done, send the people out to do it. What's interesting is that in the very next verse, Matthew 10, so it starts a new chapter, Matthew 10, 1, 
but it says that Jesus sent his disciples out. And it says when he sent them out, it says he gave them the authority to throw out the demons. He gave them the authority to heal the diseases and to heal all the sicknesses. Isn't that interesting? They couldn't have done it. Matthew was a tax collector. Four of these guys were fishermen. I mean, they, they couldn't have done it. Except as they walked with Jesus, they saw him, he taught, he modeled, and then he, he called them up and he said, hey, see the complexity? Now you know what your need is. Let me empower you, give you authority to do the work that needs to be done. You've seen what God wants to get done, go do that. So what, what does Jesus want to do in this world? He wants to, again, it's a simple story. It's a simple, straightforward project, goal that he has is to get rid of the, the brokenness and the, the suffering and the sickness and the death. That's what he is about. And what does he want us to be a part of? He wants us to call, be called alongside. He wants us to join him in that work. So what is that gonna take? I think there are, there's things that we've been looking at, but I want, I want you to think of them in terms of just this idea of we need to see three things. First is this, we need to see clearly how complex this thing we is that we're getting into. If you're, if you're in something and you think, I can fix this, if you're in a relationship and you say, I can help this person, and that's what comes to mind, <laughs> you're not looking deep enough. Because you're not looking deep enough at what their problem is. You're not looking deep enough at your own brokenness that you're bringing to the situation and your own limitations. You're not looking at how wide this thing spreads because of the network that they're involved in in this world and in the relationship. You're not looking at the relationship of them to the spiritual world. You're not, you're not seeing. If you think you can fix it, you're not looking deep enough. So he says, he says, you need to see, see clearly, look deeply into the situation so that you become overwhelmed because that's where you need to start. The second is, look clearly at God to see his heart and to, for him to remind you, one, you go into this with him because if he's not empowering you, it's not gonna happen. And the second is, is that you go into this with all those workers that he has called there. So don't look to do this on your own. Look deeply at the circumstances, be overwhelmed, but also realize you need to be looking around for those others that he has sent into this field to work with you. Because your work will get done as you work with the others that God has called to his field, not to your project or not to your, what's important to your heart. Does that make sense? So look deeply into the heart of God. Realize that he hasn't changed. He's all for this, but he has sent others in there with you. The third is this. Always start by looking to God in prayer. Looking to God first. Don't just jump out there and do something. You know, there are studies that are done that say that, you know, helping people, because when we help people, our brain dumps all the, the happy kind of um, uh, chemicals into our system. You know, so they, they call this the, um, it's called the happiness trifecta because there's three of these. There's serotonin, uh, dopamine, and uh, um, oxytocin. And, and when we help others, that gets dumped into our system. So we can actually, we can get addicted to helping other people, just chasing out, trying to do enough, do things over and over. And what we imagine in our mind, we, can, we imagine we're helping them, 
but God's trying to call us back from that. I mean, that's a blessing that we feel good about helping other people. That's, that's a gift from God. I mean, he wants it to be something that's almost like a reward for going the right direction, having the heart that he has. But he doesn't want us to get to where we just chase, chase after that, that high. This isn't about the high that we get. This is about actually seeing the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, right? This is about seeing his kingdom come and his will done on this earth in these situations as it is in heaven. And that's gonna take some work. It's gonna take looking deeply to get overwhelmed. It's gonna take looking around us to find one. Where is God in this? Is he here with us? And is he with us? Because there, are other, there should be others that are in that field. But it's also gonna be looking first to God in prayer and saying, God, you gotta send the workers out. You gotta send the workers out. If I'm gonna be that worker, you gotta train me up because I'm not ready for this. It says if we'll do that, that God will, God, that is a prayer that moves God's heart. It's not the prayer that says, God, come and back me up in this great plan I have. It's that prayer that says, God, I don't even know what the plan is. I don't even know fully what that, I'm overwhelmed by the problem. Come instead and Lord, I ask that you would, you would show me. I'm over my head, so I need you to send out your workers. I need you to train up your workers. I need you to call up those who can fix this. God, Lord of the harvest, do your work. It says that if we start praying that way, if we start seeing that way, if we start living that way, it says that we'll, be, we'll see. We'll see God work. We'll see God move in us the way that we've he's, you know, I, I look over this world and I think, man, th- th- this place is, it's a wreck. It's a mess and people's lives are a mess and communities are a mess and families are a mess and, and, and systems and these uh, that we've trusted in, they're, they're a mess. And you go, how can, how can we ever see that fixed, redeemed, restored, made new, brought into, I mean, just how can we see that happen in the way that we have heard others have, right? We've heard the stories of other generations. He said, if you will live this way, if you'll see things for what they are, if you'll seek me the way that I've asked you to first, he says, then you will see miracles. You'll see God move in the way that you have heard him having moved in the past. You'll see people healed. You'll see Lives set right, relationships restored. I want to be a part of that, don't you? I want to see God move in our day the way that I've heard the stories about how he's moved in other days. He says this is where if you'll start by just seeing things right. Amen?